Talk Recorded live. Greetings. Welcome to today's broadcast of this gospel of the kingdom. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries.com, and we're here every Sabbath, every Saturday afternoon, live at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we also have uh, four different ways that you can listen. And uh, the main uh, ministry website is isawthelightministries.com. Today is on the Roman calendar, February the 7th, 2015, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it is the 18th day of the 11th month. And today's topics are going to include uh, some details of the upcoming Gog-Magog War, the invasion of the United States of America, some things God has been showing me about Savannah, Georgia, uh, Florida, uh, Jordan, America, and, a, and the coming World War III. We're also going to be talking about uh, some things going on in the news right now, as well as the main topic today is going to be Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, where it talks about the unclean birds in Babylon. And so we're going to be talking about what is the unclean bird in Revelation 18, verse 2. Uh, and we're going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to follow along with whatever translation that you have there. Uh, before, but before all of that, let, let's cut on a song, and then we'll be back with today's message of this Gospel of the Kingdom. Thank you. 
song was the shepherd's song talking about feed my sheep i hope that you could hear it well it's hard to get the sound just right uh, for everyone and uh but i really appreciate everybody that has tuned in today whether you were listening live or perhaps later in the day or later in the week in the archives we really really appreciate everybody that tunes in to the broadcast uh this is being recorded live in the Roman calendar on the date of February the 7th, 2015, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it is the 18th day of the 11th month. For those that are just tuning in, we're going to be talking about several topics today. be covering what's going on in the news. And the main topic is going to be Revelation 18, verse 2, uh, later on in the broadcast, 18 Revelation 18, verse 2, talking about the unclean bird. What is the unclean bird of Revelation 18, verse 2? That's later in the broadcast. First, let's go into prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, creator of heaven and earth, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for this beautiful, wonderful Sabbath day that we are alive today by your mercy, by your grace, by your creation. Thank you, God, for the opportunities today, Lord God, that you have given us to rest as well as to worship you, serve you, and to hear your word. We ask, Lord God, for your special anointing on this broadcast. We ask you, God, to put your word into my mouth. We ask you, God, to bless 
and anoint not only what is spoken, but what is heard. That you would help us, God, to hear your voice, hear your word, to understand, to comprehend, and to apply your word, your spirit, and your will in the truth and in your Holy Spirit, God, into our lives. That we may be obedient and respectful towards you, Lord God, and you would find us plain and acceptable to you upon your return. We ask God your will, your power, and your spirit prevail in us today, tomorrow, and every day. According to the Father's will, in Jesus' name we pray. Well, first up, I need to update you on uh, some more information about the recent trip that God took, took me on. Uh, for those that are not yet familiar, let me just briefly summarize and then get into the new details. Uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, God sent me on a trip, a working vacation, if you will, uh, to Florida. And uh, I didn't realize it when I was going down there exactly why. I mean, I, I thought God was sending me on like a vacation that God knew that <laughs> it's difficult for me to stop work and, and, or stop evangelizing and stop witnessing and stuff. And so it was a working vacation. God knew that. And he was using this working vacation to not only for me to rest, but to teach me some things, to show me some things that I couldn't learn here, that I couldn't learn over the internet, some things that I needed to take this trip, this journey, in order to learn what he wanted to show me. And all of this was to confirm, to clarify, and to give me more details about the four horsemen. Now, it's very important, if you've not done so yet, I really, really encourage you in the Lord to read the article on the website, I Saw the Light Ministries. The, there's a lot of articles there, but I really encourage you to check out the article about the four horsemen. Read that, and then that article will also lead you to the more recent article about the electrical, petroleum, and automobile industries' corruption of mankind. And that second article adds more details about the four horsemen. So on this trip, God showed me John D. Rockefeller. He lived in the 1800s up until the 1930s. Died in the 1930s. Showed me his connection to the four horsemen, his connection to the electrical industry, the automobile industry, the petroleum industry, how John D. Rockefeller had a major part in the four horsemen, which is the, four, the first four seals of Revelation chapter 6. So you really need to read those two articles to understand all of this. And today I will fill in some more of the information details that God's shown me. Now, on the way to Florida, I stayed one night, two days, one night, in Savannah, Georgia. And at first, I had planned to stop and stay one night in Savannah, Georgia, because they were forecasting uh, some rain, and it's difficult 
for me to drive an extremely long distance. Uh, it is almost 600 miles one direction, 600 miles uh, to Foreman Beach, Daytona Beach, Florida, where God was taking me. So I planned to stay one night in Savannah, Georgia, cut the trip a little short, take a little bit of rest, finish the rest of the trip the next day. Uh, again, I did not realize why God was really taking me to Savannah and why God was really taking me to Florida. Even though I needed the rest and that was part of it, that there was more, prophetically more. So while I was in Savannah, Georgia, and this is the new part, I saw uh, a huge ship. And I went down to the riverfront and was... Uh, basically touring the area, uh, I saw this huge, I'm talking about gigantic, like a, like a Titanic. I mean, it was huge. And I didn't realize what it was at the time. It had this very strange words written on the side of the ship. And I took pictures with my phone of the ship. And then after returning back, Tennessee, I eventually looked up those words on the ship, and I discovered that the ship is owned by a company in Norway, Oslo, Norway. Now, that is major. That is huge, because Oslo, Norway is where they give out the Nobel Prizes, which, of course, I have written about how the Nobel Prizes is part of the first seal, the first horse, the white horse, a direct connection to the Nobel Prizes awarded in Norway. And I've also already spoken of how in Florida, after leaving the Rockefeller House, I very quickly met a man from Norway. So to meet that man from Norway, for the Nobel Prizes to be awarded in Norway, and here, here is this huge shift that is owned by a company in Norway. No coincidence at all. Impossible for this to be coincidence. Now, this company is one of the world's largest shipping companies for shipping of automobiles, yachts, trains, and electrical power stations. Wow. No coincidence. Automobiles. Yachts, and I had spoken about how uh, one of the men that I had written about how he, what was his name, had made one of or had had the first aluminum yacht, uh, not Rockefeller, but one of the other guys had one of the first, uh, one of the uh, Tesla family or somebody else had one of the first yachts. It's in the articles. So how the trains connect, how the the uh, automobiles, the electrical power station. So there's no coincidence that that ship passed at that particular location at that particular precise moment that I was there at the riverfront. So amazing. Now, some more information is the, the motel that I stayed at in Savannah was uh, very extremely close to 
a major Army base uh, called Hunter Airfield. Uh, I did not get to see it. I wanted to see it, but unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. But when I looked on the map, the motel I stayed at and the airfield were like right there. It must have been like right behind the motel, and I should have just turned the other direction and went down there and looked at it, but I didn't. But it doesn't matter whether I saw it or not. It's on the map. It's there, right there at the motel. Now, this motel, I mean the airfield, Hunter Airfield, is a major, major airfield. And it is extremely important to the Gog and Magog War. It is extremely important to the defense of the entire eastern United States of America. This Hunter Airfield serves the larger Army base nearby. So it's like a substation airfield of the larger airfield nearby called Fort Stewart. Now, Fort Stewart is the, the largest military base of all the eastern United States east of the Mississippi River. It is where of the East Coast that they send troops to the Middle East, equipment, uh, helicopters, planes, troops. This is where they mass the troops and then ship them over to the Middle East. A major, major military installation. And is in, involved in uh, what's going on in Iraq, Syria, and all this. And during the upcoming invasion of Russia and China invading America, it will be among the top five, perhaps even the top three, targets for the invasion. Of course, the top targets that Russia will strike on the East Coast would include, and West Coast, let's talk about both coasts for a minute. Of course, the top targets of Russia and China will be, of course, Washington, D.C., Fort Stewart there in Georgia, including Hunter Airfield, uh, and, of course, Florida and the Air Force bases in Florida, as well as uh, Omaha, Nebraska, in the center of the nation, and San Diego on the West Coast, as well as Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Those are going to be among the top ten. Now, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know. I never heard of Fort Stewart before. If I've heard of it, it didn't catch in my mind. I don't. I did not know anything about Fort Stewart, but now I do because of this trip. So God is showing the details of the upcoming invasion, God and God War, uh, as He has been showing me details through the years, and this is. Uh, a few more details. Um, another very interesting thing is I read an article that I believe occurred in 2010 where they caught three Russian men trying to break through the fence into an electrical power station there in the Savannah, Georgia area. So they call these three Russian men trying to get into the power station to do, you know, Lord knows what. And they uh, shipped, exported uh, these men back to Russia. Instead of putting them in prison or whatever, they sent them back to Russia. That's 2010. So they're, they're making plans. They're preparing 
to bring down the electrical grid as part of the invasion. Right? A few days ago, I was in a car garage. I was getting some work done in my car. And lo and behold, in the garage, there is another car with mine. And this other car directly in front of mine, there's only that car and only mine, actually a pickup truck, was from Florida. Now, most people would be like, so what? Coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I learned years ago that God is in control, that there are no accidents, that everything is ordained, that God is truly much more in control than what people give him credit for. Uh, a lot of people serve a God of coincidence. I don't serve a God of coincidence. I serve a God of purpose, a God of plan that is in control. For this car, pickup truck, to be from Florida, with an actual Florida license plate, not just a vanity tag, but an actual Florida license plate, and an actual mechanic that runs the place, are these people from Florida? He said, yes. Uh, no coincidence. Then, a few minutes later, these two Russian men come in. I, at first, I didn't know. Wow. At first, I didn't know they were Russians. I don't know what a Russian looks like, <laughs> you know, or even sounds like, but they had an accent. And I was thinking, what was that accent? Is that Norwegian? I was thinking Norway, I was thinking uh, Sweden, something like that, uh, maybe even German or something. Couldn't quite put my finger on it. And after they left, now these are not the same ones from Florida, but a different car that came in, uh, the dropping off another car. But uh, after they had left, I asked the mechanic that runs the place, where are they from, Norway or what? He said, Russia. And he said, Russia or Ukraine. He said Russia first, and then Ukraine. Whether it's Russia or Ukraine is really the same ethnicity. Uh, they're, they're still Russian. Uh, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union, so it's still Russian. Uh, so to have both the pickup trucks in Florida plus these Russian or Ukrainian men, it confirms one another that neither one is coincidence. All of this continues to come together, and God continues to confirm what he is showing us. God is not just showing me this stuff. He's showing you this stuff. This is not just for my edification. It's for all of us to grow and learn, and so he's warning all of us. He's warning the entire world what's going to happen so that we can get ready and so that when it happens, we won't be as afraid. We won't be afraid. We won't be filled with fear because we know it's going to happen. We can expect it and know that God is in control. It's not the new world order in control. It's not the new world order that is going to be responsible for invading America or controlling the world or developing a one world government. It's God. God has ordained all these things, and all these things must occur according to God's plan. We've got to stop giving so much credit to the devil and so much credit to uh, wicked men. God has designed and ordained for all these things to occur. Praise God.
All right, let's go from that to what's going on in the news right now. Well, we see Jordan bombing uh, ISIS inside Syria and Iraq both. And that's a major development right there. Jordan bombing, sending many air jets to bomb ISIS inside Syria and Iraq. And everybody is praising the king of Jordan. Praising the king of Jordan. Most people must be uh, not aware that the king of Jordan is very anti-Israel. Now, of course, Jordan used to be um, kind of neutral, maybe even a little bit pro-Israel. But now, in the last year, and up to the current moment, Jordan is not pro-Israel at all. Jordan has been, over the last few months, and over the 12 months, Jordan has been very bold in their statements against Israel. And Jordan is a Muslim nation. The king of Jordan is a Muslim, a very evil Muslim, uh, and very anti-Israel. This is not a good man. He, he, he is not a man to be held, to be praised, to be worshipped, to be, to be honored, to be respected. This is a very evil man. And I believe he is doing it uh, to help Assad. In fact, uh, there was an article that I found last night that was from a couple of days before that. Uh, I believe it was from before uh, Jordan actually started bombing Syria. And it was where Assad was saying, please, Jordan, come and help us fight ISIS. And immediately after he said that, Jordan said, yes. I believe that Jordan is doing this to help Assad. The scriptures tell us in Daniel 11 that Ammon and all these different names for Jordan will uh, escape out of his hands. Why does Jordan escape out of Assad's hands? Perhaps they are allies. Uh, Islamic prophecies proclaim, and I don't, I don't uh, believe in Islamic prophecies, I don't promote Islamic prophecies, but we, we need to understand uh, that there are such a thing as Islamic prophecies and that the Muslims know these prophecies and will be important. So Islamic prophecies proclaim that in the end times there would be several groups of people calling themselves Muslims that are fighting the leader of Syria. Now these are prophecies proclaimed over a thousand years ago that said in the end days there would be several groups of Muslims fighting the leader of Syria, and that eventually the leader of Syria, and that one of those groups would be especially uh, brutal for children. That perfectly fits the description of ISIS. Uh, and that eventually that the leader of Syria would defeat those groups and would defeat as well the specific group that is brutal for children. and that his defeat of those groups and of that particular group will eventually confirm 
his identity that he is the Mahdi, the trouble in the end time Islamic leader, which is actually the son of tradition, the one that we call the Antichrist. Now, the devil knows prophecy. The devil knows these things are going to occur. And the devil mixes in truth with fiction, and he will use that prophecy uh, that he sent to the Muslims over a thousand years ago uh, with the victory over ISIS from the American airstrikes, from the Jordan airstrikes, from the uh, Iraqi airstrikes, from the, from the Assad's regime airstrikes against ISIS. ISIS will eventually be defeated in one sense or another, perhaps just the leader. But the, uh, the head leader of ISIS would definitely be killed uh, in order to uh, allow the Muslims to start worshiping Assad. Uh, so everybody's like, how right now all these Muslims, all these different sects of Muslims all hate Assad, except the Syrians themselves. The majority of Syrians actually approve of Assad. Now, you don't hear that in mainstream media, but evidence is, fact is, the majority of Syrians, of all different groups of Syrians, the majority of them support Assad. But outside Syria, all these different groups of Muslims hate Assad. So how is that going to come about that they're all going the majority of them, to start uh, worshiping him as the Mahdi. Well, it will be through the defeat of ISIS. It will be through the fulfillment of Islamic prophecies that they will recognize that fulfillment, which the devil will use to lift him up as the son of the devil, the son of the tradition, the son of destruction, the fallen angel that he is, as well as whoever defeats Israel, and Israel will be defeated, they will be conquered, they won't be wiped off the map, no, they won't be wiped off the map, but Israel will be invaded and conquered and be tread underfoot, the scriptures tell us that, and whoever does that, and that will be Assad, will automatically win the approval of all sects of Islam. So, we see all these things coming together. And how can we deny the time that we're living in? It's not a reason to fear, but it's a reason to get serious. It's a reason to prepare spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. A reason to get serious, a reason to get prepared, a reason to get ready, a reason to get right. Because we are living in this day and time of uh, just a, a step away from the Great Tribulation, which is only three and a half years and not seven. So this is what's going on in the news, and what's going on also in the news is uh, Obama is preparing to declare war. He's preparing. They said it in the news again. I shared this news story, uh, what, a week or two or three ago, but yesterday it was in the news again that Obama is preparing to ask Congress for a declaration of war against ISIS. Now, this is huge. This is major because uh, they're already 
in basically a war against ISIS. They're, they're striking ISIS by airplanes all the time. But for him to go to Congress and ask for permission for a major offensive against ISIS, make no mistake about it, that will be a declaration of war no matter how they word it, no matter what they call it, it's going to be a declaration of war. And it's going to include thousands upon thousands of ground troops from the United States, not just airstrikes. It's going to include thousands of soldiers that will be killed, and they will be defeated. It's going to be a bay of pigs like it was in Cuba. It's going to be horrible. Uh, That's the way it's going to be. And because America has lost their blessings by God and their protection by God, God will not protect those men and women that are sitting in there. They will be slaughtered. Unfortunately, it's not what I want, but it's what's going to happen, and I must prepare you for that. Uh, Because when they go in there and invade Syria, it's going to be uh, not only to defeat ISIS, but it's going to try to remove Assad. Russia and China has already said several times over the years and over the months that uh, Russia and China has said, and Iran, has said that they will go to war against America, against Israel, even to the point of World War III and even with nuclear weapons. Their words, not mine. Nuclear weapons and World War III to keep Assad in power in Syria. They will not allow Assad to be removed from power. He will not be removed from power. Anyway, anyway, any shape or form, Assad will not be removed from power until Jesus comes back. Jesus himself will remove him from power and destroy him in the lake of fire. Amen. Praise God. So we see right now that McCain and uh, Lindsey and Walker and all these different Republicans uh, are now calling for ground troops in Syria. Openly and publicly calling for ground troops in Syria. Make no mistake about it. There are going to be ground troops in Syria. And they are preparing right now, preparing the American people and Congress and government uh, for that eventuality. Also, we see in the news that Obama uh, met what, yesterday or the other day, a few days ago, whenever uh, Obama met privately behind closed doors, uh, several groups of Muslims, which he does that on that's no news, he does that all the time. So uh, Obama is definitely a traitor, but ordained by God to uh, do these things. God is in control. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Well, uh, that covers the news in Savannah, Georgia, and the war and everything. Uh, let me just put on this song again, very appropriate song, and then we'll come back with the main message, Revelation 18, verse 2. But we're going to start in Mark 7. If you want to go ahead and turn to Mark 7, we're going to start there. We're going to talk about clean and unclean meats. But that topic, has Jesus cleansed the meat or not? And... Uh, we're going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to follow along in other translations. And we'll be right back with today's main message after this song called The Shepherd's Song. Mm-hmm. 
you hear many, many, many people saying we should never call names or, you know, curse a person or with a spiritual curse or never put anybody down, never offend anyone. It's really not biblical. And uh, I've heard many, many people say, they, they must have never read the Bible because I hear many people say, Jesus never put anyone down. Wow. They've not read the Bible. He called them directly to their face, you hypocrite. And rightly, rightly did, rightly did, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrite as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Now, we've got to stop right there and divide verse 8 from this next section, starting in verse 9. Because in verse 9, it says, He was also saying to them, so now the word also, I'm underlining the word also because that's very important that he's moving to the next topic. Okay? And so moving to the next topic, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, gave it to God, dedicated to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Period. So then you're going to have another topic starting in verse 14. Now, in one sense, verse 9 to 13 is still talking about that they have their traditions, that they're not obeying the truth, that they're not keeping the spirit. They're, they're keeping the letter of what they think is the law. They're keeping the letter of the Tamad. They're keeping the Babylonian Tamad. They're keeping the traditions of the elders, which is not... Uh, really, the Bible, and so forth. So it's staying with that theme that they are hypocrites. It's it's staying with that theme that they do one thing while rejecting the other. But the topics change as far as the specifics, starting with plates and cups in the first few verses, verse 9 to 13, about how they treat their parents and don't take care of their parents. And then verse 14, Another way that they reject uh, the truth of how God wants us to do, in verse 14, and he called the crowd to him again. Now, this is very, very, very important that we underline after he called the crowd to him again because uh, this is a different setting. He actually left them, departed from them, went about, you know, doing something else. They went about doing something else. It's not the same setting. So now we have a new a new setting, minutes or hours later. 
verse 14. And he called the crowd to him again, and he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is no thing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's uh, very reminiscent of what he says repeatedly in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. You know, uh, he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. is very reminiscent of that. Verse 17, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, um, his disciples questioned him about the parable. So now we have another setting. They like move to the house now, and they're questioning him about what he already just said. In verse 18, he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from without, or within, from, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Then you have a new topic starting in verse 24. So going back to verse 19, it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's words right there. Mark, you see in verse 19 what Jesus said, and then Mark adds, Thus he declared all foods clean. Now Mark wrote the book of Mark decades after the resurrection, at least 20 years later. So Mark is looking back and writing what he remembers and what he has learned since then. And he re- he's reflecting back on what he understood that Christ was doing, what Christ was saying, what Christ was meaning, what Christ was you know, doing. So Mark is saying, thus he declared all foods clean. Now he's not talking about bacteria, germs, viruses. He's talking about spiritually. That spiritually he declared all foods clean. So, in other words, the before this, there was a clean and an unclean, right? If you declared all foods clean, then before this, there was clean and unclean. That's no debate. We know that. But this is a changing of that uh, order. There's a changing of that ordinance that now we can. Now, other people, a lot of people say, oh, but what is the context? Talking about uh, verses 1 through 8 about the tradition of the elders, which is not biblical, about the washing of hands and pots and all that, the ceremonial stuff through the Tamad, oral traditions where they add it to the law, all that. 
well, like I say, uh, yeah, you got to consider that too. Of course, you got to consider this whole chapter. Of course, we always do that here on this broadcast. But he's going from that topic to this topic to the other topic, all with the common theme is that you're not keeping the law of God according to the way I want you in the spirit of the law of what God's principles are. You're not doing things the way I want you to do. And in, in verse 14, from verse 14 down to 23, he's talking about food. He's no longer talking about worship of pots, worship of him. He's talking about food here. What goes into your stomach and is eliminated? Right? Is he saying you can't be harmed by a virus or bacteria or by cholesterol? No. He's talking about food. So it's no longer just the tradition of the elders. Food. Meat. This is what he is talking about. And especially when we understand that Mark wrote this decades later because Mark knew Peter, right? Mark knew Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all knew one another. They walked together. They lived together. They all followed Christ. And then after Christ went back up to heaven, they continued to know one another. And Mark and Peter knew one another. And Mark knew the vision that Peter had in Acts 10. And looking back upon everything that he had learned when Jesus was on earth, looking back upon everything that he knew and heard and saw before and after the resurrection, knowing what Peter had saw in the vision, he says this, that Jesus had declared all foods clean. He doesn't say, Mark doesn't say that Jesus uh, said you no longer have to wash your hands, but of course he did. I mean, Jesus did not want them to continue in this obsessive OCD thing about washing of hands. Of course, of course Jesus wanted them to stop doing that. But Mark's point was not focused on the washing of hands. Mark's point was focused on the cleansing of food of meat. That was Mark's point. So to try to dismiss this by using verse 1 to 8 of the worship of Paul to try to dismiss it doesn't work. Because Mark's point was about food being declared clean. Amen. Praise God. Now, so then, once we understand that, what about Revelation 18, verse 2? So let's turn there now. Revelation 18, verse 2. Now let's read verse 1 as well, of course. Verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Of all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sexuality. So what about the unclean and hateful bird? Does this verse prove that that there are still unclean meats? Well, let's examine this verse. Let's dissect this verse. First of all, keep your finger there, keep a bookmark. It'd be better to keep a bookmark because we're going to a lot of verses before we come back. And let's turn to chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, King James Version says, uh, I heard a angel flying in heaven. But New American says, eagle. When you look at the Greek word there, it is talking about a bird. Now that Greek word is very difficult to translate. Whether it might be an eagle, a raven, a hawk, uh, some type of a bird. It's a very difficult Greek word for the scholars. And they translated it as eagle right here. Whatever kind of bird it is a bird. And that's why New American has eagle rather than angel. But is it a little bird talking? I don't think so. I think it's important to use the word eagle there. This is why another example of New American Standard being more accurate than King James. This is more true to the Greek word. It should say eagle. But is it a literal bird. I don't think so. I believe it is an angel, but for spiritual reasons, it's represented by an eagle. Now, we also know how John saw angels that he called beasts, uh, creatures around the throne, and they had uh, the appearance of an eagle and of a cow and other things, I believe, well, other animals that that these angels have. So the angels have a symbolic representation of how these animal faces and animal creatures, uh, shapes and forms, and these angels. So it is possible that Revelation 18.2, an unclean and hateful bird, could be talked about a demon. If you want to look back to 18 verse 2, it says, And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is 
Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of ever unclean spirit and a prison of ever unclean and hateful birds. So it's definitely talking about spirits, angels, demons uh, here in Babylon. So this bird, unclean bird, could be an unclean angel. But not only is that a possibility, but it could also be a human. And I believe that it's talking about both. Uh, Of course, we've got demons here when it says unclean spirit. But I believe when it comes to the word bird, I I think it's kind of a a representation of both spirits and humans. Now, we know in... Matthew 7, let's turn to Matthew 7, that unclean people or lost people or even Gentiles at one time were called animals by different descriptions. Matthew 7. Verse 6. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus was talking about people that were not worthy to receive the word. Be careful who you witness to. Be careful who you speak to. Be careful who you associate with. Because some people, when you address the word of God with them, they will turn and rip you because of the evil spirits inside that human. Right? And so he calls these people animals. He calls them dogs. He calls them swine. We know the book of Revelation says there will be no dogs in the kingdom of God. That's not talking about a literal dog. I believe absolutely there will be dogs and cats. But spiritually speaking, no dogs, no lost people, no antichrist people, no people that are against God. They are called dogs and swine. Now we also know that they're called goats. How God will separate the goats from the sheep. And we know that they're also called vipers. How John the Baptist, and I believe even Jesus, called them snakes, vipers. So we have lost people, which at one time was the Gentiles, but now they're drafted in, called dogs, swines, vipers, and goats. Amen? But are they ever called birds? I didn't think so until now. And now God has given me the scripture where they're even called birds. Let's turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is the vision of Peter. Let's start in verse 1. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. 
Now, there was a man at Kashka, named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So he was a Gentile, a devout man, and one who feared God, devoured all of his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his great gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? Because they always called people, Sir, Lord. That's what that word means. They don't mean it was God. It just means that, that they were very, very, very respectful at that time. And they would call everybody, strangers, people that they meet for the first time, a very respectable Lord, as same as Sir today. And he said to him, the angel said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner called Simon, another man named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Now we must understand what a tanner is. A tanner is a man that worked with uh, skin of carcasses of dead animals. And that would not be a Jew, but rather that would be another Gentile because the Jews did not believe in doing that or even associating with with a... Uh, uh, what's that? His thing... When you stuff the animals, I don't care what it's called, you know. But the Jews did not believe in associating with such people. So Peter was already associating with Gentiles. Peter was already coming out of that former thinking. And I'm sure a lot of Jews would uh, be speaking against Peter. Uh, And so, verse 7. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approached the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. That's very, very, very important to understand that Peter was hungry and that he was willing to eat. He had a physical need to eat. That's very important, that Peter was hungry and had a physical need that needed met. But but while they were making preparations, they were preparing to eat. While he went up for prayer, these Gentiles were fixing food. That's very important to know as well. Because the Gentiles would have been preparing some foods that the Jews wouldn't be eating, right? And while they were preparing this food, making preparations, he fell into a trance, talked about a vision. And he saw the sky opened up. This is a vision. He saw the sky opened up in an object like a great sheet like a tablecloth, a 
great sheet, sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creature, creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Very important to understand that this tablecloth, this sheet, included crawling creatures and four-footed animals and birds, subject of birds, birds of the air, birds. Now, everybody knows and understands that these animals of all these different types which Peter considered unclean. Everybody knows that these animals represent the Gentiles, right? Even those people that believe that they're still unclean meats to this day. They believe, they know, they understand these represent people. So here we have a verse where people, Gentiles, lost people, are called birds. So that Revelation 18, verse 2 of an unclean bird can be an unclean spirit, a demon, a fallen angel, and it can be an unclean person. It can be representative of uh, unclean people. I wouldn't say necessarily Gentiles, but maybe in one sense, Gentiles, Revelation 18, verse 2, since we're dealing with Babylon, but more so unclean lost people. But let's keep reading here. Verse 13. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Kill and eat. Peter was hungry. He was in need of food. Rise, Peter, kill up, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, although these animals represented humans, Gentiles, God was not telling Peter to eat Gentiles. He was telling Peter to eat these animals. So, it doesn't matter that, of course it does matter, you know, it's very, very important to understand that God plans Gentiles. Very important to understand God plans Gentiles. God has called me to the Gentiles. The majority of the people that listen to me, the majority of the people that read the website, the majority of the people that write me, the majority of people I talk to on the phone, so on and so on, are Gentiles rather than Americans. But it's also very, very important to understand that God was not telling Peter to kill Gentiles or to eat Gentiles. God is telling people, eat these animals. You're hungry. You're in need. Eat these animals. Kill these animals. You're living with a canner. I'm preparing you. I've been preparing you. Kill these animals. Eat these animals. Feed yourself, Peter, and then feed my sheep. But Peter said, verse 14, that Peter said, by no, by no means, Lord, for, now in this sense, it is God rather than just serve, in this particular sense. But 
By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God, maybe it is an angel. I don't know whether this is God or an angel. But the point is, this voice said to him, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now, if if this voice was talking only about Gentiles and not talking about food at all, if it was not talking about food at all, but just Gentiles, then why God is correcting him? Why is his voice correcting Peter? Because Peter's like, I'm not eating unclean food. And his voice is like, correct Peter, that what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. What was Peter considering unclean? The animal. He wasn't considering the Gentiles unclean. He was living with the Gentiles. He was eating with Gentiles. He was associating with Gentiles. He was shaking hands with Gentiles where the other Jews weren't. He already had pretty much resolved that within himself. Peter's problem was not Gentile. Peter's problem was food. Verse 16, this happened three times. It's very important to understand that this happened three times. This is not written in vain. It's very important. I underline the word three times. I really encourage you to underline the word three times. It took three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had Seen might be. The, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. So, again, there were three. And this confirms that the three men these three Gentiles are represented by the three times that the voice said to him, you know, rise, kill, Peter, kill, and eat, and don't call what I've cleansed unclean, you know. So, yes, it's talking about Gentiles, but much more than Gentiles, much more than Gentiles, because God wasn't telling him that uh, I just cleansed Gentiles. He told him that, but it was more than that. It was dual meaning. It was double meaning. It was more than one meaning. So, just because Peter continued, even in other chapters, just because Peter continued to tell people that was the meaning of the vision, doesn't mean that's the only meaning of the vision. I'm not denying that it meant God cleansed Gentiles. I'm not denying that. But I'm saying there's more meaning to it than what Peter understood. Because Peter had a problem understanding certain things. And Peter 
was not perfect. Peter was not God. He was not perfect. He denied Christ how many times? Three times. And that's very important to remember that Peter denied Christ three times. And when he's denying Christ in chapter 10 here, Acts chapter 10, three times he denied Christ when God or the voice was telling him, commanding him to kill these animals and to eat these animals, he was denying Christ three times more. He was denying Christ's power to cleanse all foods. That's exactly what Peter was doing. Exactly what Peter was doing. He was denying Christ's power to cleanse. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. What was Peter calling unholy, unclean, common? The food. Peter wasn't calling the Gentiles unclean. He was calling the food unclean, the animals unclean. And God was correcting him and showing there was more meaning to this than what Peter understood. Now, if, if it meant Gentiles only, if that was the only, only, only meaning to this vision, Gentiles only, then why did God use animals? Well, in one sense, these animals represented people, right? These animals represented people, even the birds represented people, which goes back to my point in Revelation 18, verse 2, that that can represent people. But there's another reason that God used animals. Because if these animals are not clean, then why is he using them to represent the Gentiles? If the Gentiles have been cleansed, right? If the Gentiles have been cleansed, then why is God using something that's not been cleansed. Is God comparing apples to oranges? Do you get my point? How how can his voice say, here's something that's not been cleansed, and I'm using this to show you something, to make a point that something is clean, that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say this is unclean, always has been unclean, is unclean, and always will be unclean to show you that I have cleansed. Don't make sense. If Gentiles are clean, then so is the food automatically. You can't say that Gentiles have been cleansed, but the foods have not been cleansed. Amen? Praise God. If the Gentiles are cleansed, then so are these animals. But in 18 verse 2 of Revelation, that particular bird, that particular people, that particular spirit are not cleansed because they've not come under the blood of Jesus yet. And even Gentiles, or even Israelis, even Americans, even the tribes of Israel, you're not clean until you come under the blood of Jesus. That Revelation 18, verse 2, is somebody, a spirit, a being, an angel, a person, who has not yet come under the blood of Jesus because we're under bondage.
to Babylon. Amen? Amen. But the Gentiles of which who accept Christ, those who are accept Christ, are cleansed. Now, the animals, the literal physical animals, have all been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and animals no longer uh, have a part in our salvation. You can eat that animal, that turkey, that bird, that chicken, that ostrich, that turtle, that rabbit, that goat, whatever. You can eat the snails, the shrimps, the pork, and it will not prevent you from entering into the kingdom of God, for there is nothing physical that can spiritually hurt you by eating it in the sense of clean and unclean. But, don't get me wrong, because you are still not to eat things sacrificed to idols. People misunderstand what Paul is teaching about the things sacrificed to idols. People misunderstand what he was saying. And we've got to understand everything in context, and that is a whole other thing. But I must say here that we must also consider what Jesus said in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, that he hated the doctrine of those people that taught, and of that woman, the Jezebel, that taught that you can eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, why would things sacrificed to idols hurt you if nothing that you put in your mouth can defile you? Well, with the unclean and clean meat topic, if you eat just, if you eat some pork, that is not going to hurt you spiritually. It cannot hurt you spiritually. It's flesh. It has no power and authority over it. It's not going to hurt you as long as you do it in moderation and it's cooked properly. But if you eat something sacrificed to idols, that food has been committed to a demon. And those evil spirits have attached themselves to it. And even though there's nothing physically about it that's going to hurt you, there's a spirit that comes along with it. This is related to the topic of a that you should never accept anything given to you by a witch or somebody demonically possessed or by evil people because they can attach themselves to you by their gifts, by their money by their books, by their pamphlets, by their tracts, that you should turn those things down because, and things that people bring back from Mexico and things people bring back from Peru and from Africa because you've got to be very careful what you lit in your house, that spirits can be attached to certain things. And it's not the physical item itself that can hurt you. It's not the physical thing. It's not the physical food itself dealing with halal foods. It's not the physical things themselves that hurt you, but the spirits that come along with it. And when you're buying and eating things that are halal certified, that have the mark of the beast on it, that have the halal mark on it, it's not the physical thing that has hurt you, because they can't hurt you physically, or even spiritually as far as the physical thing. 
but it's the spirits that come along with those halal things, that those things are committed to Allah. Those things are committed to the devil. Now, pork is not committed to the devil. And pork cannot be sacrificed to Allah. It cannot be sacrificed to Allah. Shrimp cannot be sacrificed to Allah. None of these unclean animals, which are now clean, can be sacrificed to Allah. Wow. Praise God. Acts 10, all these birds, these crawling creatures, these four-footed creatures that Peter would not eat at one time, they can never become halal. And since they can never become halal, they cannot hurt you spiritually or physically in any way, shape, or form. They are truly clean, spiritually and physically, in every aspect. They can never be defiled spiritually. That's a beautiful thing. That's mind-blowing. They are cleansed by the blood of Jesus in every way, form, and shape. Oh, wow. Praise God. And what a provision for a great tribulation. What a mind-blowing revelation. Provision for the great tribulation. Provision for God's people during the time of the mark of the beast. But other things, like chicken, beef, things that the Mesianic Hebrew roots people like, no problem, I can eat my chicken, I can eat my beef, because they're clean. Well, guess what? If it's got the halal mark on it, and it will at some time in history, even though physically it can't hurt you, spiritually, that so-called clean meat can hurt you spiritually because not only is there a spirit attached to it, but also when you give in to Sharia law, you bring yourself under bondage and submission to Sharia law, to unclean spirits, to the mark of the beast, to uh, the uh, dominion of the son of perdition. So it's not a matter whether that meat is clean or unclean. It's a matter of submission to Allah when you're like, I don't care, I'm going to buy it, even if it is sacrificed to idols. You're bringing yourself under submission that you're buying and selling something that has the mark on it. And that is why we don't buy and sell the things with the mark. They may be clean as far as uh, that it won't hurt you, even spiritually, as far as that it's a chicken. But it can can hurt you and is unclean because it is sacrificed to idols. And we've got to take Jesus' word above Peter, above Paul, above Timmy Carpenter, We've got to take Jesus' words in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. He said he hates the doctrine of those that said that we can eat things sacrificed to idols. So things sacrificed to idols is a different topic than clean and unclean meats as far as what we're talking about earlier. Okay, We've got to put a difference between those things. All right. 
All right, let's see where we're going to move on from here. Let's go to John 21. Book of John, chapter 21. This is very, very important chapter for this subject of clean and unclean food. Revelation, I mean John, John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself. I underline the word manifested himself because it's very important. This is after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, uh, for the topic of that there's not a trinity but only one God, and that God manifests himself in many different ways. He manifests himself as the Father. He manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. He manifests himself as the Holy Ghost. He manifests himself as Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. He manifests himself as as an angel of the Lord, as a pillar of fire. He manifests himself in many different ways, but he's one spirit. So he manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tibetus, and he manifests himself in this way. Amen. He manifests himself in many ways, but this time he manifests himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called uh, Maria and uh, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> and they said to him, we will also come with you. Oh, we're coming with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, very important out there. The day was now breaking. This is a new day at sunrise. The day was breaking. Jesus stood on the beach. Ah. He stood on the beach. Jesus loved the beach, the waterside, by the Mediterranean, by the Jordan. Jesus loved the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, this is, you know, uh, the father talking here. Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net. I'm underlining that word children because, I mean, that's significant. Verse 6, and he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of all the great number of fish. A great number of fish. Do you believe that every one of those fishes was clean? You show me uh, you show me a great old big giant net that's thrown into the water and all this fish they, they can't even drag it in 
so full of fish and try to tell me that every one of those fishes was of one species? I don't think so. I'm sure it contained many different kinds of fish which the Jews would not eat. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, talks about John, who's writing this book of John, he's writing in the third person. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. He didn't want Jesus to see him that way. He had problems. Peter had problems. He wasn't perfect. But the other disciples came in. It wasn't wrong that he had stripped himself for work. That wasn't wrong. But he thought it was wrong. Peter was a little bit legalistic in certain areas. So verse eight, but in the other but the other disciples came in. The little boat for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Verse 9. So when they got out of the out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Fish and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. But here, this is mind-blowing to me. I love this. Jesus cooked. He was grilling out. Okay? Jesus prepared this breakfast of fish and bread for his men. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. You can't tell me all 153 was plain. You know, of course they were, but you know what I'm saying. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples, none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now, how many times? The third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's very, 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 very significant. Anytime that you have a word, repeat it, whether you're looking in the same chapter or even the same book, even if it might be different books, like we're looking at today, the book of Acts and so forth, even if it's in different locations, if you're looking at a topic, a subject, and that word continues to come up within that same topic, that's significant. So this connects Acts chapter 10 with John 21. There's a connection between those two chapters, even though they're in different books. But it's the same topic. We're still talking about food. And it's the third time that Jesus had manifested. And people try to twist this to say this proves that God is three people. 
God is not three people, because guess what? I do not believe in Greek mythology, thank you. I don't believe in three different people are God. Ridiculous. So let's not twist it to try to turn it into believing that there's three people as God. But this is the third time, and that is significant. Now, verse 15. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Now, I believe King James says feed. Let me look real quick, John 21, 15. John twenty one fifteen, yeah, it says feed my lambs. Now, the Greek word here, it goes real quick, verse fifteen, the Greek word for ten or feed my lambs here is Greek number one zero zero six. Again, that's Greek one zero zero six. That means to feed, to nourish, to pasture pasture like pasturing sheep, graze, feed, or keep sheep. Now we go to verse 16. He said to him again a second time, wow, didn't the verse, didn't the voice say a second time, right, kill Peter, kill and eat? Wow. Making a note there, action. Wow, 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 wow. Like right, second time. Simon, son of John, you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Now, King James says, Feed my sheep. The Greek word for shepherd or feed in this particular verse, verse 16, is a different Greek word. It's Greek number 4165. 4165 in Strong's Concordance. And that means to feed, to tend a flock, keep sheep, to rule, govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to serve the body, to feed livestock, to supply requisitive for the soul's need. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, he said to him the third time, remember the sheep with the animals rose three, or however it was done, three times. And he said to him the third time, and this is the third time that Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. All this is three through three confirmation that is connected. And remember in all four Gospels, Jesus denied Christ three times and the rooster crowed three times. So that account of the rooster and Peter denying Christ three times is connected to John 21, which is connected to Acts 10. All of it Disconnect. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Because why is Jesus repeating it three times? Why did the voice say it three times? Because Peter is not understanding the question. Peter is not understanding the statement about the animals being cleansed. Peter is not understanding 
what Jesus is saying about feeding my sheep. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. That's verse 17. King James says, feed my sheep. Greek word here is the same as in verse 15, meaning to feed, to give uh, grazing pasture as a shepherd to your sheep, to let your sheep eat, to provide your sheep food, to provide your food, your sheep nourishment and cure as a shepherd, as a, as a good shepherd, as a good pastor, as a good leader, as a good apostle would for his flock under Jesus Christ. Now, everybody interprets this to mean only spiritually to take care of the church. But is it only spiritual? Jesus had just laid out food for them. Jesus had just given them a big net of fish. So Jesus had just given them a a big net of fish. Jesus had just cooked them bread and fish. And Jesus had just declared to Peter, let my people eat. That's what Jesus was saying in one context, in one sense. Absolutely. This is not just spiritual take care of my church. This is, let them eat. I've cooked food for you. I've provided fish for you, both clean and unclean, which is all clean. I've given you, what well, was the number of fish? 153. I've given this all to you. Let now give it to your people. Let them eat. Feed my people. Let them eat. That's what Jesus was saying, more than anything else. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to Matthew 26. When Peter denied Christ the other three times, Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 34. Matthew 26, verse 34. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you are denying me three times. There's an animal here, a bird. Three times. That is not the, the word of God is so perfect. The word of God is so perfect. It's not coincident that there's an animal here, a bird here. There's not a coincident that it's three times. Now let's go to verse sixty nine. Verse sixty nine. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You two were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. That was the first time that Peter denied Christ. 
When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, the second time, he denied it with the oath, I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Amen. That's significant. Oh, let's keep reading here. And Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, he would deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. Now, this is important, that a rooster crowed. Because even though a rooster is uh, considered clean in Leviticus, as far as I know, however, a rooster was against the law in the city of Jerusalem to be in the city limits. It was against the Jewish law. It was against the law of the city of Jerusalem to be having a rooster in the city limits. And this was in the midst of the city. And for this rooster to be present, for this rooster to crow at the very moment, the third time, that Peter denied Christ is significant because basically, spiritually, the reason that the Bible tells us about this rooster is because this rooster was basically sounding the trumpet that, guess what? This bird, which you all don't allow in the city limits, is here, preaching the gospel, sounding the alarm, and and doing things you don't want us to do. This is significant because even though it wasn't against God's law, it was against the Jewish law for that rooster to be there. And he's saying, what you all don't want, what you all consider against the law, I'm here. Amen. Praise God. I can't put that in words because that's so significant that I don't know how to even express that. I hope you understand that. That is incredible. And so this is all connected. Amen. No coincidence. It's all connected. Now let's go back to Revelation 18 verse 2. And we'll finish up here, Revelation 18, verse 2. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Falling, falling is Babylon the great who has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. It's important to understand that the word unclean spirit, the word unclean there, is the same Greek word for unclean bird. So is this unclean spirit a spirit that you can't eat? Well, of course, you can't eat spirits. You can bring them upon your body. You can bring them into your body through halal and through taking gifts from witches and so forth, but you can't eat a spirit. So the, the fact
fact that it's the same word for unclean for spirit and the same word for unclean bird is significant. Another thing that's significant is the word every. Every unclean and hateful bird. Is this another Noah's Ark where one or two or seven of every species of bird all across the globe must come to Babylon? If this is literal and physical, of literal physical birds, and it says every unclean bird, then you must have an ostrich, a canary, and this, and this, and this, and this, of all these different birds of another Noah's Ark to Babylon. I don't think so. I don't think that's what it means. It's not literal birds. First and foremost. First and foremost, it is not literal physical birds. First and foremost, it is unclean people and unclean spirits, lost people, who are under bondage to Babylon. Another significant thing here is the word prison. King James says cage. Again, this is another perfect example of why New American Standard is more accurate. It's not a cage. It's not something you put a bird in, literally and physically, but it's a bondage. It's a place of bondage. It is a prison. It is a place of bondage to these spirits and unclean people, these lost souls, these lost beings. So, uh, is it, if it's literal physical birds, then is it saying that every unclean bird in the entire world is going to be encaged in one town? The all unclean birds in every nation, in every city, in every continent is going to disappear and be in Babylon. Because it's not just two of every unclean or, or seven of unclean. It's every bird. So is every unclean bird going to completely disappear from every continent and just show up in Babylon? Don't think so. This is not physical. This is a spiritual bondage to Babylon. And another important thing is take the context of chapter 17, verse 11. Chapter 17, verse 11. The beast that was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seventh, and he goes into destruction, or King James says perdition. This is talking about the president of Syria, which is the same fallen angel as Anarchy's priest. How in Daniel 11, Antiochus Apricides, the president of king of Syria, during the times of the abomination of desolation in the B.C. years, how he continued to be, uh, let's see, how does it say it, the beast which was, which was, and is not, yet he himself is the eighth, he is of the seventh, meaning that this fallen angel, Assad, and Archites, same spirit, comes in these different kingdoms. He is, he was, he is not, he's still, he's one of the eight, he is the eight, he's one of the seven. This spirit continues to exist throughout these kingdoms, or the Babylonian kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, so forth, down to today, and all the way down to Babylon in chapter 18. Remember, in the original scriptures, there was no chapter division between chapter 18, 17, and 18. So keeping in the context of their spirits, 
fallen angels in 17 verse 11, that there are still these fallen angels in chapter 8. So we've got to consider that context as well. Now, I'll say one last thing. Will there be birds, physical, literal birds, to eat the flesh of the wicked? Yes. Yes. We see that in Ezekiel. We see that in Revelation 19. We see that in other places of the Bible. What is called the Supper of the Great God. That's opposite of the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. There will be physical, literal birds to eat the flesh of the wicked, the flesh of captains, chief men, and so forth. Those that are in bondage to Babylon at the coming of the Lord. So, that's true. However, that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that there are particular birds that we cannot eat. It never describes those birds that are eating the flesh of the wicked as being in any context of you can't eat them. Of course, we won't eat them. But it's never talked about of those birds in a way that you cannot eat them. In chapter 18 here, it's not talking about food. It's now, it's talking about wine here, drunk with wine in verse 3, but nevertheless, I'm hoping that you are mature enough in Christ to where I can give you all the information instead of holding back on you. Because some of this information I'm saying right now may be a stumbling block, but I can't keep spoon feeding. I've got to give you all this other information. Yes, there are some literal birds, but the context is not what you can eat and what you can't eat. The context is evil spirits and evil people being in bondage to both spiritual Babylon and physical city of Babylon and the physical government of Babylon of the fallen angel of Sod. So we have to consider the context. And over and abundantly, the first and primary focus of this is lost people and fallen spirits. In no way, shape, or form does this teach or even hint at that you can't eat certain types of birds. Jesus did cleanse all of those that were considered unclean meat of Leviticus. And they are provisioned for us in the Great Tribulation. And God has sent me and other people to deliver this message that he cleansed meat to the Messianics, to the Hebrews, to those that are searching, to those that are seeking, because this is going to be important. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Let my people eat in the great tribulation. Squirrel, rabbit, any kind of bird. Because 
it's going to be a necessary provision. Will you mummer? Will you mummer in the wilderness and say, not so, Lord. I've never eaten the unclean, and I refuse to now. If you say that in the wilderness, if you say that in the Great Tribulation, you're going to be in a bad predicament. When you turn down the provision for the Great Tribulation. During the Great Depression of the 30s and 40s in America and across the world, it was possum, squirrel, swine, and those things that the Jews and the Muslims consider unclean. Are you going to go along with what the Muslims believe and teach? Are you going to go along with the halal that, hey, we're not going to touch those things? Are you in agreement with law? Or do you accept that Jesus had the power and the authority to cleanse and proclaim and declare all foods clean? Do not submit to halal. Do not submit to the mark of the beast. Do not commit to those, those things that are dedicated to the enemy. Touch not the unclean in that aspect. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Are you mature enough to rightly divide these things? Pray that you are. I thank you for listening today. I thank God for showing me things as I speak and for teaching me as I read, as I teach, as I share, how things open up to me as well. Praise God. It's a beautiful day. It may be snowing, it may be raining where you're at, but it's a beautiful day in the kingdom when his people understand. Don't be like Peter. They deny Christ and his power to cleanse those needs. Rise, heal, and eat your provision for the last days. Amen. Praise God. Now, we're here every week, every Saturday, every Sabbath, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And we got a few minutes here. And here in a minute, uh, we'll see if there's any questions. And I might take a couple of minutes for the chat room to activate. So while that's activating, let me just remind you that there's four different ways to listen. You can listen on TalkShoe live. You can listen uh, on TalkShoe in the archives. You can listen on the ministry website live. You can listen on the ministry website archives. You can listen over the telephone. So I think there's five ways you can listen. And if one way don't work, try the other way. And uh, you can listen 24-7. There's phone number on the website. The main website is isawthelightministries.com. And let's try the chat room. Even if you don't have any questions, if you can just let me know if you can hear me. And if you have any questions, feel free, please, to try to type it in there, and and I will uh, see if I can answer your questions. Now, you can also send in questions ahead of time 
who contacted me on the website. And uh, you can also uh, you know, contact me through the website to ask questions ahead of time. And if there's something that you want to share, you can do that too. Not just questions, but comments and, and so forth. If something you want to share, a testimony, any of that, you can also do that. And that's fine. And uh, we'll give a chance for the chat room in case anybody wants to say anything or just let me know that you can hear me. And if it's not working, let's give it a few more seconds and try it again, maybe another minute and try it again. And Hopefully I'm going to get a laptop next few days and hopefully it'll work. And maybe I might even be able to do the chat room even better. I don't know. I don't think it's my phone. I think it's their server. But it's possible that it still work better with the laptop. Somebody's given me a laptop and uh, are going to be giving me a laptop in the next few days. I appreciate your prayers on that. that it'll work well. I appreciate your prayers always for this ministry and for myself. I'll keep you in prayer as well. appreciate Lisa, Bob and Cheryl, Tammy. Uh, appreciate uh, all the others. Everybody that listens live and through the week, appreciate your prayers and support. I'll be working on the Men's Ministry website as soon as possible. And I guess the chat room ain't working. So let's just conclude the broadcast. I thank you for listening. We're here every week. This Gospel of the Kingdom brought to you by IsolarLifeMinistries.com. Thank you so much. And until next time, may God bless you.